When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme and today is the day for the Leaving Cert class of 2021 that the results are out and they went live at 10 o'clock this morning so I suppose it is about now that most Leaving Cert students are pouring over at those results. 61,000 Leaving Cert uh, candidates are receiving results today. And according to the newspapers, it's another record year. Uh, Grades have gone up again. They've gone up by 2.6% is the grade inflation on last year. So uh, please God, all of the students listening will will have received the results that they deserve to receive because this was a rather unusual year again for leaving certs because there was a blend between actually sitting the exams and a blend of teachers giving them their predictive uh, grades. So there's there's a complete mixed bag in there but hopefully it'll be the results that young people wanted to get and I know it can be devastating if the results haven't gone the right way particularly if people have a, have a course uh, that they have in mind but as we all know those of us that went through that situation and we all remember our Leaving Cert results day and you know people who were upset will remember it, people who were happy will remember it but we all managed to get on and you forge your way through life and there's lots of different ways to get into various different careers but well done we just say to the 61,000 Leaving Cert candidates. We will have a career guidance advice with Roisin Kelleher, our career guidance expert. She will be joining us on the programme this morning if anyone has a particular question. And often with Roisin it's the mums and dads that have the questions on behalf of the sons and daughters. So feel free to contact us if you have a question about today's uh, results. And just while I'm talking about young people, can I just give a mention to, uh, there's a really lovely photograph I saw it on the examiner on the back page of the examiner I think I also saw it inside in the Echo it's a group of, of young students from the Maria Immaculata Community College in Dunmanway let's name them they, they're Holly Ann Duggan Shannon Bottomer Caitlin O'Brien Jane O'Sullivan Catherine Murphy and Dervla O'Don- O'Donovan and they between them raised €1,600 and the reason that they did a bit of fundraising was they wanted it to go towards a set of handbells for the Sam Maguire Community Bells group and there's a picture of the girls with the handbells in hand and they seemingly held a culture night in Cox's Hall in Dunmanway back in February of 2020 and that would have been just before we started going into lockdowns and started here. We'd have been just starting to hear about COVID-19 and coronavirus, but we never thought it was going to arrive on our shores and we never thought we'd be going into lockdown. So they were probably one of the last 
big fundraisers that was held at Cox's Hall. But well done to the girls. There was a terrific sum of money to raise from their uh, culture at night. And as I say, there was a picture of them. Uh, there is a picture of them in, in the papers today. So well done. And they're with Maria Macalata uh, Community College in Domamu, which I always think is a gorgeous, gorgeous name for a secondary school. Congratulations to the girls. Isn't it disappointing and worrying to hear that Ireland are now, we now have the highest rate of COVID-19 infection in Europe. That's over the last 14 uh, days. And that comes with the caveat that our infection peak still hasn't arrived. We're another few weeks away, the experts say, from this current wave that we're in from it actually uh, peaking. And it's frustrating and annoying because we are doing so well. We're also like the poster boys of Europe when it comes to we have some of the highest, if not, I think there's only one country higher than, than us when it comes to the amount of people vaccinated. And yet we are also the highest rate for COVID infections. The latest data is coming from the European Centre for Disease Prevention, the ECDC, and it shows that we here in Ireland, we have an infection rate of 504 cases per 100,000 people. And we're told there's a significant increase in workplace outbreaks. And that will worry people because we're just hearing that people are going back into the workplace from the 20th of this month. So people are saying if there are already workplace outbreaks and we've got more people back into work, are we going to see even more outbreaks? There was 117 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the past week linked to 27 workplace outbreaks. I don't have the details before people say what kind of workplaces were them. I don't, they don't give us that kind of detail. This week also five outbreaks reported in nursing uh, homes. There was nine new acute hospital uh, clusters, 53 cases linked to that. There was 11 outbreaks in childcare facilities, 34 confirmed cases there. Then there was two outbreaks Associated with social gatherings, some kind of house parties, birthday parties, 25 confirmed cases there. And then there was also three clusters from what's been described as religious ceremonies. Now, I'm assuming either weddings or funerals, 22 confirmed cases out of those three uh, clusters. And experts, of course, are saying the reason for it is the highly infectious Delta variant that is driving up the cases. But Nefford are warning that we haven't peaked yet they reckon we will face up to 3,000 cases a day and it'll be by the middle of this month and then they expect that the infection rate then will have peaked at that and then it will start to go down because of the number of people that are being uh, vaccinated because over the last few days I thought it was already starting to go down because, you know, we were kind of 17, 1800. Then we kind of had a couple of days where it was 1,200 and 1,300. I thought maybe we'd peaked, but according to Neffet, we haven't. There's also been a significant rise in the number of cases being reported in some parts of uh, Cork. These are the latest figures that would have come out last night. You know, every Thursday evening, they put up the number of cases per 100,000 over the last 14 days and they go through all of the different local electoral areas right around the country. So we obviously take a look at what's happening in Cork. So this would have been up to the 30th of August, up to Monday of this week. The Cork City Northwest 
had the highest incident of the uh, virus. They had 22 reported cases, but they're above the national average of 552 cases per 100,000. Bantry and West Cork had the second highest incident rate. They had 123 cases reporting. Cork City North East, LEA 210 cases. For Middleton, they had 212 new cases over the last two weeks. And then further out into the county, there was 109 cases reported in Canturk, 149 cases in Bandon and Kinsale and 116 cases over the last two weeks in Cove. Back into the city then, Cork City South East, 145 cases. Skibbereen had 99 cases. Mallow had 91 cases over the last uh, two weeks. Cork City Southwest, 146 cases, 114 in the McCroom area, 116 in the Cork City South uh, Central, Carrigaline, 92 cases. And Formoy has come out as the lowest incident of COVID-19 in the county. They had 60 cases, but they have a very low, their lowest incident rate per 100,000 there at 164 which is very low and that will give great comfort to Formoy because at one stage when we certainly were weekly looking at the local authority areas Formoy was coming out on top but of course it was to do with the meat plant in the uh, area so now Formoy have flipped it and they have the lowest number of uh, cases and unvaccinated people in their 20s who think they are healthy but Many of them are overweight. They are among some of the COVID-19 patients who are currently in intensive care. And it is shocking to think of people in their 20s ending up in intensive care and they are in predominantly in the mid they're unvaccinated and a leading consultant is outlining uh, his concerns amid fears that hospitals will be facing another bed crisis and I'm reading uh, a piece in the paper uh, it's quotes from Dr Coleman O'Loughlin he's the intensive care specialist at Dublin's Martyr Hospital and he's talking about and worried about if the numbers keep going up and if unvaccinated people keep ending up getting COVID-19 and then ending up needing an ICU bed. And he makes the point that if 130 COVID-19 patients end up in in intensive care, he said, well, the knock-on effect of that is it's a devastating blow to non-COVID patients who are currently on waiting lists because their beds then have to be reallocated to the person with COVID-19. And he said it's absolutely heartbreaking. They then, consultants then, have to go to their patients who many of them have been waiting to get in for an operation. In some cases, it can be very urgent operations and we're told, sorry, can't fit you in because we don't have an intensive care bed that you're going to need following your operation and we don't have an intensive care bed because they're full of people with uh, COVID-19. He said the number of COVID-19 patients in intensive care, now at the moment they're still relatively small, they were on the 50-52 mark I think But he's, and he said they are certainly small compared to the figures that we had in January and February of this year but he said they are still having a significant impact he said it's causing a lot of stress on non-COVID patients some of those non-COVID patients even end up having to get moved to other hospitals because they have to put all available staff to looking after the people in intensive care. He said, we're now relying on the COVID-19 vaccination strategy. He said, we still don't know what the impact is going to be because he said, we know not everyone will take up the vaccine. And he went on then to appeal to people to please, please get vaccinated. He said the unvaccinated will end up in intensive care and they are still more likely to get very sick. And he said these young people, young people he's treating 
were always of the belief that they were healthy. He said they're not. They decided they didn't want to get vaccinated. Sure, I'm healthy. If I get COVID-19, I'll be fine. And a proportion of them are ending up in uh, ICU. And someone was on to us earlier on in the week saying why are we not getting daily figures from the number of people who were dying from COVID-19 and are they hiding that information uh, from us? So I took a look to find out what is happening. They're not giving out daily numbers anymore of people dying from COVID-19 but what they do is they give out a weekly number. You can certainly on gov.ie you can get the weekly numbers of people who've died from COVID-19 and I just checked back across the month of August there was 52 reported deaths from uh, COVID-19 in the month of August and that's the highest number we've had since April because there has been a huge fall off with more people getting vaccinated, less people getting COVID-19. Knock-on effect was there was less and less deaths. So 52, sadly, uh, people died in this country because of COVID. The average age of the people who died was 77, uh, 77 years of age. And of the 52 who died, 9 in 10 had an underlying health condition. A woman who narrowly avoided a head-on collision between a truck and a car which saw two people seriously injured has now launched a road safety campaign to improve driving conditions in rural areas. Ella Godden lives near Dunmanway in West Cork and Ella joins me this morning. Good morning to Ella. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Thank you so much for having well, me on Cork today. Well, you're very welcome. I, can you outline what happened? I know it was on the Bantry line and it was around lunchtime at the er, early in August. Yes, that is correct. Now, there is a guard investigation pending, so I want to make that clear. Um, and I'll be careful in the information I give. Okay. So um, I was traveling towards Copy from Cookstown. And it was raining. I was giving a very long following distance. So this is important. So I'm following a car. I'm looking at the bend ahead. It's a bad bend. And I'm looking at the bend. So I'm looking at the road. And I see he begins to lose control. He jackknifes. He goes further into the oncoming lane and crushes the car in front of me. Because I was so fortunate to have that little extra following time, I'm so fortunate to be looking closely at the bend ahead that gave me a millisecond of a head start. And at that moment, I was able to take a very strong evasive action. So what I did as well, I I want to tell your listeners, put the best tires on the car that you can because they are the only thing that touches the road. And I have a very good vehicle. It's suitable. So I was able to, on a dime, turn 90 degrees and turn into an open gate. Now, I did, Patricia, I did not think it was possible for me to clear the road before impact. I thought I was going to die because you have, I had a fully jackknifed lorry and the car literally flying at me, like in the movies, where the trailer's even coming up off the ground. Where it's almost all happening in slow motion. I mean, certainly somebody was looking out for you because the very fact that the gate was open that allowed Patricia, you to... yes, the, the lady of the house, the loveliest family, the loveliest family. Honestly, the people of Ireland are why I love Ireland so much. And they jumped into action. We all did. But yes, she told me that they only had opened that gate to receive a gravel delivery for their crash that they're constructing another building. That normally, so normally that gate is closed. And then there was, an a, there was a further closed. issue there uh, then, Ella. Uh, and this is another problem that we have in rural Ireland is mobile phone signal. You tried to call 999. 
Indeed, I did, Patricia. So uh, once I got over the shock of not being hit, because it was like a strange, I'm like, has that just passed right through me? How is this possible? It must have been just within inches or feet. It was that close. Now I've come to a stop. I, and which, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I was able to do that. And I, before I got out of the vehicle, I rang 999. She could not hear me. And then we played a nightmare version of, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And that, it makes me start to cry now, to tell you the truth. But she couldn't hear me because I knew those people were in serious shape. If, if, I, thought, I thought they might be dead, to be honest, or I thought they might be dying due to the damage to their vehicle, there was no more front end. It was fully crushed. And it had come to a rest, literally, where I just was. So I, <clears throat> so I, I spent a couple minutes trying to walk around and get signal, and maybe a minute, a bit, two minutes, and then I ran to the closest house, which was on the bend. It was at the top of the hill. Now, luckily, the lady of the house had, a, had also heard the crash, and she had called 999 on the landline. She had a landline, okay. Yeah, All that right. was I the mean, only it's, reason. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's such a, a frightening thing uh, to happen. And because of it, you started a campaign to try to improve driving conditions uh, on Aurora roads. And I can hear by your accent, you're not a native of... <laughs> well, it's, it's a speech impediment, Patricia. They keep trying to fix uh, it, it just won't go away. Uh, but you, you, you're, what part of America are you originally from? Well, I was born in Florida, but then I lived in California. In fact, I'm on the San Francisco Twinning Committee because Cork is fortunate enough to be twinned with San Francisco. But I'm just thinking road road conditions in America, very different to road road conditions in West Cork. I, you know, look, they need to improve their infrastructure as well. Uh, You know, I, I, I think that... There are there are roads that are very good in America and Spanish. Sure, there's some roads that are very good in Kerry. Mm. You know, there are some very good roads in this country. It's just very inconsistent. And the 585 ends up being a bit of a death trap because it is just riddled with problems. You know, there's stretches where there's no markings at all. I was in Crookstown and I saw two heavy goods vehicles physically unable to pass each other so that one had to mount the footpath just so that they could physically pass one another. I mean, that demonstrates that that road is not suitable for those two vehicles yeah. because they can't pass. And, we're, and so listen, these, I've said it on many occasions, and, and so sure. have, have many others and many better informed than me. Our roads were never designed for the volume and type of traffic that is currently on them. Precisely, precisely, precisely. And let me just say, Patricia, this isn't a county problem. I have to say, I work in a lot of, I work in the civic area a lot, and our public servants work their butts off. I know that firsthand. I know it personally. I think the problem is structural. It's at the top. Uh, Not enough money. I still think we have a bit of beyond the pale. There's the capital and there's everything else. Um, And we don't get what we need. But the larger problem systemically, Patricia, is our tax take, that we simply must, I know, I think a lot of your listeners are going to agree with me. I'd say 99% of your listeners are going to agree with me. We need to start taxing the rich because there's simply not enough money coming into the coffers to pay for the projects that we critically need for the infrastructure. Roads are tremendously expensive, right? 
And the budget is not there for them. The budget will only become there for them. And our hospitals. Our, our hospitals are overpressured. Our roads are in need. Our public servants are overpressured because we don't take enough tax from the rich. That is my position. Okay. And until we start to address that, we cannot take any more from the middle. The middle gives too much. The middle has been squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And can't give, a, they, they can't give any more. So you've, you've, you've set up a GoFundMe page because you want to buy dash cams for people. Yes, I'd like to die. The first thing you do to make change is document what you need to change. So I think if we can document the danger, that, you know, I think that would be a step. I want to bring attention to this. It is unacceptable. Like, we pay as much in taxes, yet we're treated a bit like second-class citizens because our roads are unsafe and we have no phone coverage on that road, that road in particular. So there's a hazard. Where is our hazard pay? If we're expected to have this hazard on a daily basis, where's our hazard pay? And you're right, we pay the same road tax as somebody living in leafy suburbia, Dublin, uh, who have, you know, don't have to negotiate anything like the roads that we have to negotiate on a daily basis. And there is that sense and that feeling that we don't get the fair share of the money that we put into that pot. And, you know, Patricia, it's because there's not enough there to give us that share. And there will not be enough to give that share until we tax the rich. And when I'm talking about rich, I'm talking about rich, right? Look at this. Let me tell you this. So if you take GDP and you divide that per capita, so then you get GDP per person. In Ireland, we are number four in the world, in the world. And that just goes to show you that GDP is not a good representation of the economic health of a nation because the GDP is how big the pie is. It doesn't speak to how that pie is divided up. Let me give you another fact. Between 2012 and 2014, we were in the depth of a serious downturn that saw many jobs lost. Our public servants took a pay cut. It was a significantly difficult time for our nation. Yet the number of Irish millionaires tripled Mm -hmm. during those two years. So we have an increasingly just difficult situation for the vast majority of us. But a small number of us, the millionaires, three times more during that same two years three times more. But you know the that argument, is, if you decide to take on the rich and tax the rich, they'll just leave. They'll put their money somewhere else. You know, isn't that convenient? Oh, we can't tax the rich for they are so much more clever than we are. It is not possible for us to catch them. Good luck to them. That I, I, I call BS. I call BS. We very much can. We very much can. Of course we can. Of course we can. Okay. It's steps that must be taken. Okay, and I, I can see, I can see, I can see a lot of people are agreeing, are agreeing with you about taxing the rich, and a lot of people are saying, "Well done for your evasive a- a- action. Uh, you're lucky to be alive uh, today." The details of your GoFundMe page, uh, Ella, please. How can how can people find out more about your GoFundMe page? Yes. Now, Jean Paul was kind enough to say you put it out on your socials, okay. so he has it. He might pass it on to you. It's called Five Eighty Five Dash Cam Fund. So 585-CAM fund. Okay. I wonder if there might be uh, electronic seller listening that might be willing to give the dash cams a cost and I'd be able 
to publicise their gender. And give them out to people who use those roads regularly. We'll, yeah. stay, we'll keep in contact with you, um, Ella, on this one. But in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks, thanks for sharing your story with it's, us uh, today. Uh, good morning to you. Jim says, such a harrowing story. That lady is so lucky, only for her evasive action. She could have been killed. She described it so well. And as she said, it's, it was like something out of a movie. Uh, unfortunately, there will never be enough money to have every road in Ireland in perfect condition, especially here in Cork. We have so many roads roads. But I agree with what Ella says about taxing the rich. Start with the politicians and reduce their salaries says uh, Jim. 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Today is, of course, D Day for the class of 2021 with the release of the Leaving Cert results. With words of advice, our career guidance expert, uh, Roisin Kelleher. Good morning to you, Roisin. Morning, Patricia, and, and, and to the listeners. Well, you're very welcome. And as always, we start with best wishes to all of the students. Indeed, and congratulations to the students and the parents and everyone that supported them, and of course the teachers. They've come through quite a challenging year with the level of disruption, and wasn't it great that they were actually able to take written exams and have choices? Mm. So they're all positive. Absolutely. Now, some will are some going into the schools to pick up the results. Is that option yes. still there? Yes. Yes, and uh, that is a very interesting day for them in the schools. It's, it's the finality of very important years in second-level education. And, of course, they would have the support of their teachers just to go through, uh, you know, and look at the grades. Now, of course, they won't get all the information about how they acquired those grades. They won't get that information until next week. They will see on the, on the statement what the grades are, yeah. or whether they are from the accredited grades or whether they're from the written exams at this stage, they won't know quite that information. And is that, a, is, that that important? is that important for students to know that? I expect it is. Is it? Yes. Okay, all right. Yes. Now, the next big wait as well then is for the first round offers from the CAO. Yes, that is correct. It will be released next Tuesday. And this time, not in the morning, it will be in the afternoon that they will get that information. So it will be at two o'clock on next Tuesday. But it's important to remember that Leaving Cert isn't only about the CAO, of course, Patricia. There are the other options as well mm. for students. And the students that may have made applications or, would, or can still do the applications for the post-Leaving Cert courses, the FE, the VTAC courses, or the apprenticeships or other forms of training, or indeed for some, they may decide to go directly into employment. So while there is a great emphasis, of course, on the CAO and first-round offers and second- and third-round offers, subsequent offers, and while no doubt it is a choice for very many students, it's not the only choice. Yeah, yeah, and people need to keep that in mind. They okay, need to keep but, that in but mind. today, I suppose, is all about the leaving certificate uh, yes. results. Talk yes. me through f- what happens for people who maybe are querying a result, thought they did better, might want to take a look yeah. at, at that particular paper again. Yes. They, they, again, they, they, they have to be careful. Now, again, they will be guided about that, of course, in their schools. And there will be the helplines available, the 1800 265 165. That's available, uh, staffed by the guidance counsellors from 11 a.m. this morning. And other helplines will be available from other places as well. But they have to, they can view the scripts. They can do all that, but that won't be until they'll get next week. They'll have a breakdown of the results, and then they can have make an application to view the scripts from five o'clock of 
Tuesday of next week. And then the the other thing that is very important uh, when those CAO rounds will come out on next Tuesday, the available places will be published on the next day, the 8th of September at 12 noon. Now, this is an opportunity for students if, if they haven't already made an application for a particular course, and if there's something available, and of course if they meet the entry requirements, then there is an opportunity to put in for an application at that point. And then they they have to watch those dates because the dates are a bit closer now this year because they're coming out this bit later. So the application to view the written script closes on the 8th of September, also at 8pm. So I would suggest that people are around to attend to when are the opportunities to avail of looking and viewing at scripts and also the closing dates. The written scripts can be then viewed in the schools on the 11th of September and they can make appeals, can be made from Saturday the 11th to Monday the 13th of September. If you, if you disagree and, and with the, the results you got. But, okay. but all of that, that's all on my website and it will be on many websites, okay. schools, everything like that. So not to worry, not to get too caught up on it. Yeah, at the yeah. same time, to watch carefully when things are available that you can avail of things and the closing date. Okay, a WhatsApp in from one of our listeners. My son is devastated with his results uh, today. Uh, we're already, or he's already talking about a repeat leaving search. What's Roisin's view on repeating the full year? Well, the first thing is I'm very sorry to hear the devastation. You know, the disappointment. That, that, that is a real strong emotion and it's very difficult for that young person and the persons that are supporting the parents. So the first thing would be look calmly at it. Maybe there would be something that they will do on a recheck. But at the moment, he's looking at a result that is disappointing. That's a reality. So therefore, the decision will have to be made uh, whether he will get an offer on something next week. Perhaps he will. Perhaps he did put in for something on level six and seven. Very important, the certificate, level six, level seven in higher education, along with the level eight, which would be the honours degrees. Nevertheless, Maybe he didn't put in for it, or if he did and he didn't get it, then there would be the post-leaving cert options. And remember, they can give access to higher education the following year. There's been many a student who has been disappointed, and it has turned into complete joy the following year. So that would be one option, apprenticeships or training. And yes, the other option would be the leaving cert itself. But you'd have to know the reason why. And you'd have to know, and this is where the, the value of having the teachers looking at those subjects, did they all go down and why? And he will be able to assess that when he sees this information next week and view the scripts. And so if he's going to take a repeat leaving cert, I would say he'd need to look very carefully at his scripts and see how did he answer those questions. No, that's not an easy thing to look at, but it would be a great learning. Mm. And from that, he could say, OK, I missed this up, I missed this particular question, I got this incorrect. And he then has to say to himself, would I, in another year, a little bit more mature, a little bit more positive, a bit more study, do better on it? Remember, students had a lot of disruption. That's, yeah, I, th- I, I, I think, that, I think that's exactly it. Please, please not to take this too much to heart. They must take into account the level of disruption while some students didn't seem to mind with the Zoom, I would say quite a number found that challenging at times. Yeah, it worked so for some, I would, I would it, didn't, him, it didn't work for all. Take it too much to heart to take into account, first of all, he did it. Wasn't that a brave thing to do? He did it. 
and uh, he now has to extend his courage and deal with it in a positive way, realistic, but in a positive way, what will be the outcome okay. uh, and what he will do if Wait. the person wants to make contact to me or indeed any other guidance counsellor in school or the helplines then he's very welcome to do Please so. do. Okay, and we'll speak with you again next week when those first round offers are uh, due out and we'll have more questions uh, then. Yeah. In the meantime, it's roisinkelleher.ie. Thank you for that, uh, Roisin. And uh, thanks for joining us in that. A parents Council post-primary, staffed by guidance counsellors like Roisin. Uh, that is available from 11 o'clock this morning on 1-800-265-165. 1-800-265-165. If you have a son or a daughter or indeed as a parent you want to get some advice on today's Leaving Cert results but once again congratulations to all of the Leaving Cert class of 2021 we're going to take a break we have news at 11 on the way in the next hour we'll be speaking with Ancestry.ie who have put up really interesting new digitised records have gone up about people uh, from originally from Cork we'll find out about that and more in the next hour Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy the Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Thank you to Tom uh, for this. Tom was listening to Ella in the last hour uh, talk about that accident that uh, she was nearly involved in and um, how when she went to dial 999 was bad mobile phone signal and the operator kept saying I can't hear you can't hear you where I and she was wandering around the roads trying to get a decent signal on the phone uh, Tom says to tell Ella and indeed other listeners that 999 doesn't always work if you've got poor mobile reception but Tom says that's why 112 is there he says 112 will work with no coverage or even if you're out of credit or there's any other issues that it will work and I was unaware of that I'm aware of the 112 number and of course the 112 number is important because anywhere you are in the world, if you dial 112, uh, in the majority of countries, you'll get through to emergency services. So it is an important one. We're st- we still very much think of 999, don't we? So that's just worth uh, thinking about. I didn't realise that it would work even when there is uh, poor coverage. Thank you for that, uh, Tom. WhatsApping 0862103103. And a number of people uh, listening with interest to Ella Eileen, who lives in the Domanway area, says, I travel this road most days as I live north of Domanway. And I agree with Ella. Something needs to be done about that road. All this talk of road safety. Yes, we have roads that when you're driving along can be wide one minute. Suddenly it gets very narrow. Suddenly there's a very sharp bend and the road markings are all missing on half of our roads. No wonder we're hearing about so many accidents. Billy in Formoy says, what have the Road Safety Authority to say about road conditions? You can have all of the safety in the world, but if the roads we drive on are not maintained or are not safe, what chance do we as drivers have? And Elner says the problem now with the Bantry line and more and more people have got to discover this road so more people are using it to get to Bantry as it's faster than taking the N71 and then onwards to Castletown Bear. Now she says we've seen so many tourists using the road over the past few years. She said this was even before Covid but there was definitely an increase with staycationers this year. So with more traffic on this road, this road is going to deteriorate even further. And uh, 
Eleanor's agreeing with a point that I made to Ella. This road was not built for the level of traffic that is on it. And that's the same with a lot of our rural roads. When our roads were built, the majority of people were out on horse and traps. It was never designed for the type and the amount of traffic that are on them. And just staying with seeing as it's road safety, and it kind of ties in with yesterday because Shane Harris or Shane Ross, my apologies, the former transport minister and his suggestion from a road safety point of view to try to stop the number of accidents that are on the road. He wants to see young people, more restrictions put on young drivers, not necessarily learner drivers. He's talking about all young drivers up to a certain age. And he's even suggested that there should be a nighttime curfew that drivers of a certain age, regardless of what licence they hold, should not be allowed on the roads. And when we spoke with Deputy Michael Healy Ray, who's really against that suggestion of a curfew for young drivers, and our own Insta poll showed a lot of our listeners are also against uh, that uh, suggestion. But one of the points that Michael Healy Ray made was the fact that young people are finding it so difficult to even get their full licence and they already have so many restrictions on them at the moment. Well, lo and behold, I read in the papers today that more than 105,000 people are now waiting to sit a driving test and that's obviously once again prompting renewed calls. Extra testers are needed to try to clear the backlog and of course we know at the height of the pandemic it was only essential workers who are prioritised for uh, tests and that of course then left drivers facing many, many months of delays. The Road Safety Authority were out yesterday. They said 8,241 people scheduled to sit, are now scheduled to sit their test in the coming weeks. So that's over 8,000 people thrilled to know that they are getting a test date. And they say they say their figures are just under 69,000 people are waiting on their waiting list. But the reason when I mentioned the figure of 105, there's also 28,640 people who are not currently eligible to sit their uh, test. And that's mainly due to having to complete their essential driver training. They haven't been able to do that because of uh, COVID. And then there are others that have held their learner permit for less than six months. And of course, you can't take your test until you are six months with your learner permit. So you add all of those figures together. That's where you come up with this figure of 105,000 people waiting to sit a driving test. And we remember that earlier this year, there was an Oireachtas committee wrote to the Transport Minister and that was over the backlog of the driving test. And this backlog just hasn't suddenly appeared. And of course, it built and got even higher because of the pandemic and because the driving people weren't allowed to apply and people couldn't get a test date for their driving test. A spokesperson for the Department of Transport said last night, that in order to deal with the backlog the RSA has received sanction to hire 40 new temporary testers and that's in addition to 36 that they've been sanctioned to uh, retrain or rehire and that was the 36 that came in across last year 2020 but now an additional 40 are going to be hired then an extra 10 temporary test centres they've all been opened we spoke about that already on the programme and a further nine locations now they're saying are going to be expanded in July when that figure was around 96,000 people waiting test dates an expert warned that the wait time then was likely to hit 18 months and I see in today's Daily Mail that Jonathan Hare who has spoken on this programme is the Managing Director of uh, Cover in a Click.ie and we've spoken with Jonathan on a number of different issues to do with car insurance but we've spoken with him about learner drivers before. He said based on the 96,000 figure, the figure that it was in 
July, not looking at the increase that that since has gone to 105,000 people. He said motorists currently waiting to take their test, coupled with 120,000 waiting on a theory test. The figures I gave doesn't include those on the theory test. And he says allowing for the average pass rate is still at about 55 he reckons people now starting the process could be waiting up to 18 months and that really is an incredible length of time. I can't remember. I think the last time we probably had waiting lists so long would have been back in the, wasn't it in the 80s where they brought in that amnesty and anyone who was on wasn't it a second or third provisional driving licence as they were called, they weren't learner permits, Uh, anyone on a second or third provisional drive driver's licence remember there was an amnesty and they were allowed to get their full licence straight away I think that's the last time that we, we figure that high but before anyone suggests why don't they do that again they can't do that again because there was an EU directive saying that they can never go back and do that again so that can't happen so in the meantime we have all of these people and they are predominantly young drivers now there are drivers of other age groups as well who have for their own reasons waited to do a driving test but predominantly it is young uh, people and it is going to impact on people maybe people going to college who would prefer to commute to college they need to have their driving test done so that they can be on a full licence and be able to drive on their own. So it does impact. It's not, people don't just learn to drive for leisure or because isn't it nice I'll be able to go off on a Sunday spin. There are many reasons why young people have to have a driver's, full driver's licence in some cases as well. It can even uh, be to do with uh, taking up permanent employment. So not the greatest of news for any one of those people waiting on a driving test. 1850 333 103 lines are open and then text in for saying hi Patricia I'm going on holidays to Spain in January 2022 so next year I'm going for two weeks my passport is valid until March of 2022 but some people are telling me my passport has to be valid for six months if I'm going on holidays I thought that that was only outside the EU okay it's it has to be valid for three months. In order for you to travel to, to Spain or indeed any of the countries in the Schengen area, your passport needs to be valid for three months beyond the expected stay in the country. So therefore, you're going in January and even if you say go on the 1st of January, you'd have to have January, February March, your passport and you're going for two weeks so that will bring you up to say the 14th say you're returning home on the 14th of January 14th of January, 14th of February, 14th of March, 14th of April no your passport is is certainly going to be out of date, it has to be three months past the date that you're coming back for the expected duration of the trip. So you're going to have to renew your passport. Now don't, and, and you're probably panicking because you've heard us talk about the delays with passports. Yours is a straightforward. You're, you're just renewing an existing passport. You can do it with passport. I'd go online would be the easiest way for you uh, to do it. But certainly no, you won't be able to travel on a passport unless there's three months on left on the passport. And that's for, that's not just, it is, it, it, it certainly is for Spain, but it's not just for Spain. It's any in the Schengen area, which is all of the European U- Union uh, as well. So get your passport. You need to go and apply for a, a new passport before you travel in January. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Skibbereen. 
Golf Club are recruiting for an experienced food and beverage assistant. Please email your CV to the PRO at skibgolf.ie. Abbey Kids, they're in Kilmallock. They're looking for an after-school assistant for a minimum of 15 hours per week. Email your CV, please, to the attention of Mary at kilmallockccs at gmail.com. O'Callaghan's Cafe, that's in Mitchellstown. They're looking for a kitchen assistant. CVs, please, to kate at o'callaghan's.ie. General labourers and ground workers wanted for immediate start. That's in the Middleton area. Call Mary at 87 137. And finance and customer service specialist is wanted for Kenturk. Email noreen.okeefe at fullwoodpaco.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, newly digitised records on Ancestry.ie document the colourful stories of people from Cork who moved to Victorian Britain between 1834 and 1934 in search of a better life. The records show that some of them, unfortunately, ended up on the wrong side of the law. To discuss some of the people featured, I'm joined by genealogy expert, and that's Dr Jennifer Doyle. Good morning to you, Jennifer. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. And, and uh, thank you for taking time out to talk to us. Now, during that 100-year period, people left our shores for a variety of different reasons, didn't they? Yeah, so you have to remember that the one big thing that occurred in this period is the Irish famine. From about 1845 to 1852, people in Ireland are hungry. There's not a lot of work. So they do what so many Irish people have done before and still do. They go to England and search for a better life. And unfortunately, when you get there, people tended to settle, you know, in small areas. There's competition for jobs. And unfortunately, some people just tend to go towards the probably more lucrative but less legal ways of earning an income to support themselves. Yeah, I suppose yeah, we're talking about a completely different era and it is easy to fall into a life of crime, especially if you are desperately poor. Yeah, and you also have to remember there's an awful lot of anti-Irish sentiment in Britain at this time. It's coming through in the newspapers. Irish people are othered. They're seen as, we, we might have been part of Britain, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland as it was at the time, but they were still seen as sort of less than. There are different religions. They speak a different language, particularly coming from Cork. You can imagine they have might have different accents going to London. They stand out. And these particular records are an absolutely fantastic source because what they were designed to do was to track criminals throughout sort of their careers, for want of a better word. And you start to see people when they first appear and it gives place to birth. And you can see how their descriptions change over time and sort of where they ended up throughout their lifetimes in England. So they're all, it's just all prison records, is it, that you've digitised? Yeah, so they're, they're prison records, um, but they're also, they're kind of like prison books, like your prison, your, your prison history. So, for example, you might have someone like um, Edward Daniel Parker, who was born in Kinsale in 1871, and he was a street hawker, so he would have sold, had a stall on the street, and he would have sold things. But you start to see him appear in the registers. And, for example, when in 1927 he was sent to prison in Gloucester for larcenery, the entry has all his previous convictions. And you can sort of trace him back through time and sort of see where he diverged from the right path. 
That's really interesting. Would, would many, do you believe many families may be unaware that some of their ancestors ended up on the wrong side of the law? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we, we, we all have an aunt or a great aunt or a great uncle or some family member who went to England. And particularly as we go further back in time, there might be, you know, your great aunt or great uncle, Henry Higgins, who has gone to Cork or gone to London from Cork and no one knows what happened to him. He might appear there. Um, I remember a cousin of mine uh, emailed me all excited that he found one of his, like, his great uncles in it. He was like, you know, really, you know, the drama of having a criminal in the family. And it's not, we're not talking about, you know, massive, dangerous crimes. We're talking about things like theft or yeah. larceny. And some of the crimes are fantastic. One of the best one I found was uh, demanding money with menaces. Like, it's a great turn of phrase. Yeah, and and some people did it to, because they were hungry. You know, yeah. it was pe- petty crime or trying to feed a family. And women especially as well. We start seeing women appearing for things like theft or receiving stolen goods, prostitution, unfortunately, as well. Um, you start to see kids appearing there. So if people weren't the healthiest, people used to die from bronchitis. So if you can imagine you're living in a ghetto, you it's very smoky, there's 10 people to a room. Um, there's probably an awful lot of things going around in the air and the parents die and there's a large family. Not everyone can take in all the children. So some of the children sadly just start to fall under the influence of nefarious characters and children have always been used in criminal activity. And that's the other thing as well. You start to see people who might not necessarily have been born in Ireland. Their parents might have been born in Cork, moved to London, might have died. And then you have the next generation who are, they're still Irish by association. And you start to be able to trace families through these registers. And, but then you also see when they stop. So you see when they sort of go back to the right side of the law. Yeah, so they don't all lead a life of crime for all, for all of their lives. Some of the, the really more interesting ones. Tell me about the doctor, uh, William Mansell Collins. Yeah, so he was a doctor who studied in Ireland, right? And obviously, as most people do, there's not a lot of practice. So he went to England to try. He, he worked there. And then he was convicted with manslaughter in London in, on June 20th, 1899. Um, but what's really interesting is he was actually sentenced to seven years penal servitude. And penal servitude is sort of like hard labour. Um, when Oliver Wilde was convicted in the, Oscar Wilde was convicted in the 1890s, um, he was sentenced to penal labour. And that would have been things like, you know, walking the treadmill. Imagine just walking on a big treadmill for hours every day just as a punishment. And that's the kind of things we do see in these registers. You see men and women being sentenced to things like hard labour. We see them sentenced to other things. We see how long they're sentenced. Um, and prison got, prison life wasn't pretty in those days. I mean, it's not no. pretty today, but it certainly wasn't, pre- wasn't pretty in Victorian times. No, imagine like just being given bread and water. That's, that's quite literally a sentence. Like, that's all you have to live on. So, and then that begets illness because... You come out of prison, you're sick, you can't work. So what do you do? You go back to the life. You've no, you've no other choice. Yeah. But, but Dr. Collins, he, he was found guilty. He performed an illegal operation that had fatal consequences. Was that an, yeah. abor- was that an abortion? You don't know. Oh, it could have been. Yeah, like they don't go into details in the registers. There are court records. But even still, they tend to shroud these things in secrecy because they don't want, you know to sully the profession. He's still a doctor. Mm. And, but there, it, this is just 
that's what he go to the newspaper for. A legal operation could be anything. And then he, but he got seven years and then does he not appear again in any prison records? No. No. So do we take it he went on and hopefully led a a normal life after that? But the thing is as well is that you still have to report. So what happened when you were released is you were released on licence, which meant that you were under sort of, you came to the attention of the local police wherever you left. So what's really interesting is that these registers actually tell you where where they went after they were released. So I found a great record of um, a Bridget Dwyer she was convicted of manslaughter in Dublin, but the Lord left... Ten- she was born in Cloyne, sentenced to Dublin, imprisoned in Mountjoy, but she actually then was sent... The registers tell us that she went to England. And the reason she appears in these registers is because when she was released in 1904, it says that Bridget Dwyer from Cloyne was set, went to Devonshire in England to be a servant. She came to the attention of the Devonshire police simply by the fact that she had been imprisoned in Dublin. So imagine that stigma carries with you, even though you're gone across the water. Yeah. And, and 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 served your time and served hard hard yeah. time. The other thing that I found uh, incredible about these records is they record details of scars and tattoos. Yes, they're my favourite thing to look at. So it tells you exactly where the scars are. You know, there might be a scar on the pump or um, you might have a big scar on the left side of the forehead or someone might be burned. Um, it even goes into warts. Uh, the tattoos are amazing. And interestingly, you never see women with tattoos. <laughs> yeah. But you see men with tattoos, like they might have um, an Irish flag or a symbol of Ireland. Some of them even have American flags because you have to bear in mind um, Irish people tended to support America over Britain during the 19th century. Yeah, somebody had the Stars and Stripes flag yeah. on, on his forearm. Yeah, and anchors, a lot of, uh, particularly a lot of people from Cork, they're sailors around the coast. Yeah. They would have gone back and forth to Britain. Um, so you do have some really interesting sort of mil- uh, naval tattoos and these appear and it's really interesting just to see the social context of the of things like scars um, in things like sailors so people might have a harp um, what does that signify were they part of some sort of secret fraternal organisation maybe the earlier in the century they might be part of the Fenians um, I just love reading them yeah, and even the scars, you wonder, you know, where they got the scars. There was one uh, young lad from Mallow, uh, Patrick Leary, when he was arrested for theft in 1896. Like, he had several scars, nose, face, hands. And you, you kind of wonder, where did he pick up all those scars from? Yeah, it could be fighting. But there's equally things like, um, going back to disease, you see a lot of people, they have crooked hands. So they've got rheumatism that's step into their hands and their hands are crooked. And it's such a visceral image of sort of this tall criminal maybe you know they're five foot seven they might have black hair blue eyes but their hands are crooked it really brings them to life and the hairdresser based in London Robert Arthur Hawthorne born in Cork 1901 uh, he had a number of aliases as well which is interesting he was charged with living on immoral earnings was he a pimp that is one thing it could be pimp it could also be something like um, fraud. It could be blackmail. Blackmail is immoral. An awful lot of blackmail. So going back to uh, demanding money with menaces. Um, but prostitution does feature quite heavily, particularly for women, because if they've got no choice. And what's really great about these records is you can actually trace them through. So I remember I came across them. Um, I think her name might have been Joanna Fitzgerald. And... She's down in the registers as a prostitute, 
But when you go to the census records, she's living as she's a woman living on her own means. So it's you know they like to shroud things in secrecy, things like you know. But if you go to the registers, you see and compare it to everything else, you get this really vivid picture of what life must have been like. Yeah, yeah. And Paul Roberts, the hairdresser living off uh, Imara Learnings, he was he was deaf, sentenced to two and a half years, and it was intended on his release he'd be placed in the Longgrove Mental Hospital in Surrey. Why were they putting him in a mental institution? It's more of a place to keep him. It probably meant that they had a different attitude towards mental health today than we do today. For today, we're about trying to help people, give them the support they need. Way back when, it's about trying to hide people, put them out of sight where they they don't have to interact with society. We don't know what happened to him in prison. He might have been deaf, but they also might not. There might have been, he might have had a hit on the head. He might have gone to a fight. He also might simply have not been able to work. So workhouses were sort of where a lot of the elderly would have gone. But as you get into sort of the closer into the 20th century and well into the 20th century, people would have gone to asylum. And unfortunately, that's where they ended up. Yeah, and horrific, horrific, yeah, uh, the, the, the conditions, conditions there. Uh, it, it, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Like, And I think when you start reading all of the different stories, you kind of get lost in it all. It's, 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 it's amazing. And people can go on Ancestry.ie to find yeah. out more, Jennifer? Absolutely. And there's a free trial. And even just search the names, search your family names. Uh, when I search Doyle, there's hundreds of them popping up. But also just look at it around. Like I found, uh, just when I was waiting for your call, I found a great record of um, a desertion from the Royal Monster Fusiliers, Stephen Hennessy. But when I looked around on the page, the amount of men who deserted on the same day in Kinsale, on, on the 6th of July, 1885, it makes me wondering what was happening in Kinsale. So you start to get into your local history, and that's where these registers can really help you. Yeah, and desertion was a big thing, wasn't it? I mean, the, the young Irish would have joined the army, yeah. the navy... Uh, and then decided this wasn't the life that they wanted. Yeah, and like there's at least six or seven men who deserted on the 6th of July, 1885 in Kinsale, and I'm really curious now as to what they were doing. So. Ah, you'll have to find out more. I will. Listen, it's really, it really is fascinating. Ancestry.ie. Uh, uh, Jennifer, thank you for that, and thanks for okay. joining us on the programme. Have a great day. Uh, you too. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Jennifer Joy- Doyle, a genealogy uh, expert. Uh, but really, it was just, they're just, it's the, I'm obsessed with history, and I, I think other people are as well. I could just spend all day strolling through websites like that and finding out information, trying to link everybody up, up together. But there's great sadness as well when you're reading through the stories of these people who went to England. I mean, I know it's a huge period of time from, it's a hun- you know, it's over the hundred years, but they all went in the hope of a better life. I mean, those that went during the famine uh, went because they were hungry. But, you know, people that went, you know, right up to the 1920s, 1930s, they went in the hope that, you know, there would be a better life in England and many of them went with the plan of sending money back and they'd be able to help out. And many of them did go on to lead good and fruitful lives. But unfortunately, because of the poverty and as Jennifer, something I hadn't factored in, the way the Irish were treated when they got to England, they were second class citizens. We all remember people would talk about the signs and they they weren't, it was back in the 50s, even those people talk about the signs. Um, was, was it no, no, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish? 
So, you know, it was a, a tough, tough environment. But when they left our shores to head over there, they believed that the streets were paved with gold, but it didn't all work out for all of them. And they were and are some of our ancestors. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. On this week's edition of Where the Road Takes Me, John Green begins a new series that he's calling The Tale of Three Naris. John Green takes time out uh, to tell us more. Good morning to you, John. Uh, good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well and, and you're welcome. OK, so who are the three Naris? Well... Um, in a former life, you possibly know, I was a bus driver with uh, Bus Aaron and I spent quite an amount of time driving the number two bus up and down to not only Gronabraher but Farnry as well. And I have a special draw for the area and the people. They're warm-hearted, they're kind, they're very witty and above all, what you see is what you get. So I wanted to do a programme from up there and we selected these three guys, three friends um, they all went to the Northmon School and they all have an interest in music in a different way. John Neville is a singer-songwriter, John Murphy is a songwriter, and Tony O'Shea is a singer-musician and son of the late John O'Shea, um, singing fireman. So I went and I met him in the Northmon. We recorded a programme with him and I went away and the following day I spoke to Tony O'Shea and I found out that these guys had a very special story to tell that they didn't tell me on the day uh, because I didn't ask, obviously, and I didn't know. So I went back to them again and I asked them would they record this story and sort of blend it in with what they had already given to me and they did gladly. And okay, so... Ta- so two so or three amazing stories. So you, re- you originally went to talk to them about music? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I knew nothing about, you know, the background or the interesting story that each of them had to tell and uh, went away... And then when I found out about each of them had this special story to tell, I had to sort of think about how we do this programme. And I ended up by giving each of them their own special programme because each of them deserved it. And that's that's the way it turned out. And all of them willing to share their stories with you? Yeah, very willing. Very willing indeed. Uh, John Neville's story is special. John Murphy's so- story is very special. And Tony has a very special story to tell as well. So it it, it, ca- it went from being one programme with all three of them involved to being a, a series of three programmes. And we call it the tale of the three Norries. And Norries is a very affectionate name for anybody from the north side. They love it. They're very proud of it. They refer to people in the south side as sorries because they're sorry they're not Norries. <laughs> <laughs> and is it is it just the three lads or do you have other people featuring as well? Well, um, in John Neville's case, I do. Um, but in John Murphy's case, I don't. Um, John is telling his own story. It's originally about John was commissioned to write 10 songs for a very special album uh, called A City in Flames, commemorating the burning of Cork in December of 1920. And proceeds from that c- uh, CD are going to a very worthy cause called Alana's Butterfly Life, a little girl who has a very rare skin disease and for the rest of her life, seemingly, she'll be covered in bandages and because her skin is so fragile, they're referring to it as 
um, you know, the, the wings of a butterfly being yeah, so fragile. The, so e- 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 it's horrific. E- it's absolutely it. horrific, yeah. yeah. That's it, yeah. That's where the proceeds are going. Okay, so th- is that John Neville or John Murphy? That's... Uh, that will no, well. That will be John Murphy. John Murphy's uh, album. That's what I spoke to John mainly about uh, initially about uh, writing the ten songs and about the different stories associated with the Bernie of Cork. And then afterwards, I found out about John's own story. So now, we blended the CD and his own story into his program. And John's uh, John Murphy's story is a story of adoption. It is indeed. Yeah, um, John was born in the UK. Um, his birth mother. Uh, found herself in very difficult financial and social circumstances and she placed John for adoption. Now what John only found out quite recently is that when Catholic children were put up for adoption in the UK there was a rule that they had to be sent for adoption to Ireland in order to be raised as Catholics and that's what happened to John as a baby. Um, he was, to- or His mom was told get your baby, get on the ferry, take your baby over to Cork, hand him over to his adopted parents and then hop on the ferry yourself and come back on your own. Oh, I mean, that was absolutely incredible. Yeah, it, was, it was cruel. And, and of course, in an era where proper vetting didn't take place of for families to make sure that they were suitable to raise a child? Well, when... Yeah, well, when you when you find out or when I discovered that John was actually... Now, John is at pains to, to, to mention that his parents weren't bad people, but they were unfit parents. They were dysfunctional. His father was an alcoholic. His mother had serious psychological problems. So he was bereft of care and love and attention and, 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 and education as well. And he grew up as a loner to such an extent that he now finds... He says he, he labours... Uh, trying to socialise. God help him. I have a clip here. Is this from John? This is from John and this is where I ask him how he felt. John then discovered that when he went, his daughters and his wife Bridie encouraged John to uh, seek out his, his birth mother and he went to this wonderful social worker in the HSE who just pulled out all the stops uh, to find John's family in the UK and he eventually went to see her. And this is where I ask him how he felt when he met her for the very first time. Very strange, yeah. yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be the very most outgoing person myself anyway, you know. It's, it's always laboured if, I, if I'm trying to you know, be sociable. And um, it was very strange. So we just sat in a room and everybody else left the salon and she started to tell me about her experience. And, and it's horrific. Like the, Part of the stipulation by the authorities the church authorities at that time was that the person who had the baby in the UK would have to bring the baby back in person to Ireland, you know? Yeah, yeah Th- themselves. themselves yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, and can you imagine oh, what they went through in the first place? Apparently, um, uh, my birth mother was concealing her pregnancy for as long as she could in her job. She worked as a hotel maid at that time in London. So concealing that for as long as possible and then give birth to the child and, you, you know, how that could be and then to hand over the child, but to actually get on a boat with the child as well. I, I often wonder how many of them went overboard on the way back, you know. It was just horrific to think about it. Yeah, tough, tough story. Uh, and that's John yeah, Murphy. And then the what, yeah. the other John, uh, John Neville, his story also has a link to an alcoholic parent. Yeah, John is an absolute craftsman when it comes to writing songs. And he wrote a song called The Wobbling Man, 
uh, about his alcoholic father. And this is a very, very sad song, but it's a beautifully crafted song, if you could say that. And the, it's all about his alcoholic father and about walking on eggshells. And initially, um, he, as a young boy, he has this toy that you wind up and it wobbles around the place and he laughs and he thinks it's great fun. But then he sees his dad doing exactly the same thing from drink and he knows eventually what's going on. And the chorus changes as John gets older um, with each verse. For instance, one verse is, Mama, Mama, tell me why the dark clouds always fill our sky. While other children laugh and play, I find a corner and hide away. And then it changes from that to when he's older and he's pleading with his mother not to lie anymore to him, not to make excuses for um, his father. It goes, oh, mama, mama, please don't lie. Sometimes I wish that he would die. Don't make excuses for him to me. I'm older now and I can see. And that's the, that's the way the, the, the song goes. Now, there were, bring in, I, I brought into this programme, um, initially James Boylan was a professor and he and his family moved to Cork sometime in the 1990s to take up a position as a lecturer of literature in UCC. But before... James Boylan left the US he came out to his wife as being transgender and they moved to Cork but while in Cork he said he was scared of coming out publicly so he was as he put it en femme as a woman behind closed doors but not in public and they used to go to the lobby bar and John Neville was playing there with North Craig and one night he heard John sing this song The Wobbling Man and he was just blown away by it and he went back to the States. He wrote a piece in the New York Times entitled uh, Cork's Transition, or Ireland's Transition and Mine. And he gave credit to John Song for giving him the courage to come out publicly. And he's now Jennifer Boylan, transgender and transgender she, uh, yeah, activist. She, yeah, she, yeah. She, she is now Jennifer Jennifer Boylan. Yeah. Um, OK, and, and, does, and Jennifer speaks as well, is it, on the... She don't, so yeah, Jennifer she does, yeah, she told well, me how, how this song, yeah. Great, great. That she, she was wobbling as well herself and that she was walking in eggshells for completely yeah, different tough. reasons, but so, the song just blew yeah. her away. Well done, it was, yeah. it was as if it was written for uh, Jennifer. And then, I mean, they're two really powerful stories. And what did Tony O'Shea, the third Nari, have to tell you? Well, just before we got to Tony O'Shea, the, the very interesting part of John Neville's story then is that Jennifer Boylan and her wife comes back to Cork for a visit and they go to the lobby and in comes John Neville to play again as as Jennifer Boylan says with the same old guitar <laughs> and he, he sings away and they're sitting in their same corner and he asks John to sing The Wobbling Man or she asks John to sing The Wobbling Man and John is kind of taken back well where did you hear this before and she said well we used to sit there in the corner and John is staring at her knowing very well where did I see her before? Because she's now as a woman. Yeah. yeah. And eventually, she te- uh, John says, now I know you. And he, he understands then what has happened. Great story. You know? OK, and Tony yeah. O'Shea, finally, his story? Tony O'Shea, uh, Tony O'Shea then is son of a very famous entertainer from the north side, uh, John O'Shea. He was um, known affectionately as the singing fireman. And he was an entertainer, a singer, a gardener, uh, an author, 
um, a cook, a great friend, um, you name it, that was him. So it was a case of Britain and Dukas had rubbed off on John as well. But John, like his father, was a Cork City fireman. He had to retire at the very young age of 54. So he talks to me about his father growing up in Cork in Red Roof City because all the roof tiles up in the north side of him were called were red and it was known as Red Roof City. Growing up in uh, the area... Uh, he's recorded albums himself. He's talking as his time as a city fireman, retiring and talking about his dad. And it's a very special story as well, but completely different to the other two. Yeah, three uh, three fascinating stories uh, for sure. And as you say, it started out that it was just going to be one programme and now it's instead a mini-series of three, is it? It is, yeah. It's, a, it's like a box hit. Now. Yeah. Um, it's, it started off as one. I was just going to include the, the three of them in the one programme, um, but it's certainly changed. I mean... Uh, I was talking to Tony O'Shea a day afterwards and I was saying, look, really pleased with what we recorded yesterday in the North One. And he was saying, yeah, yeah, those two guys are amazing guys. And then he started telling me about John Neville's story and then he started telling me about, about uh, John Murphy's story. And I said, hey, we have to go back on this. You know? <laughs> I've missed I've missed the main, the main story. OK. And, uh, yeah, I've missed the whole thing, yeah. And, and your star- it starts this Sunday night with whose stories first? Uh, John Neville's story is first this uh, Sunday night. He's the first Nari. The second Nari is John Murphy and his story. Antonio Shaden completes the box set uh, the third week with his story. OK, we will look forward to where the road takes me, certainly for the next three weeks, as we do indeed every Sunday night. Listen, John, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. That thank is our you. own uh, John Green, uh, presenter of Where the Road uh, Takes Me. Now, I need to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. Just to let you know, for all the ABBA fans out there, who've waited 40 years for a brand new release from ABBA. Following the news at 12 midday, uh, our first song of the hour is going to be one of the two new ABBA tracks. They've released two tracks in advance of the album uh, being released in a couple of months uh, time but we'll be playing our first play here on C103 of one of those new ABBA uh, tracks and I know it's such excitement on behalf of all ABBA fans and then we'll talk about the reunion of ABBA after 40 years. That's coming up after News at 12. Court Today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. 40 years for them to release new music and that track along with another one called I Still Have Faith in You were both released yesterday in advance of a forthcoming 10 track album called A Voyage. Johnny O'Malley is our Eurovision correspondent and uh, Johnny is as excited about this I know as I am. Good afternoon to you Johnny. Hi Trish, how are you? Can we honestly say hand on heart that it was the Eurovision win that catapulted ABBA to international fame? I think, yes, that it catapulted them into international fame. Would they have been as popular anyway? Quite possibly they would. It's something we'll never know. But it was the launch pad for ABBA, uh, Eurovision was. And uh, I think that was the first time that, um, you know, we all, you know, the majority of people would have seen them and um, in such a global audience. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. You know, everything followed on from there. So we have to kind of, I suppose... uh, uh, pray, give give your vision credit for for giving us ABBA. Absolutely, forty years since their last album. And I mentioned this morning, I saw a survey from two thousand and nine where people were asked which group would they most like to see reunite, and I, I, 
100% almost categorically came out on top it was ABBA so many people have waited for this moment and waited for new music what prompted the group to get back to the studio 40 years on? I, you know it's something I never expected to see and um, I think what, what probably happened I think as time has moved on you know people move on you know, they had. It was a difficult time when they broke up. It was a very um, unharmonious break, I suppose. They it, it didn't. It, it wasn't. Um, even though they, you know they were friends, I think. But it they just had enough. It was. A, it was a tough time. The the public life was very difficult, and um, you know, it just. I think they'd had enough. And as the years went on, it was never kind of on the cards. And I, as I said, I never expected it to happen. But you know, with the success of Mamma Mia. They've been in the charts forever, you know, Abba Gold. Like, you, you know, Mamma Mia, there was they different they different ventures. The guys have been writing and performing. They did a, the interval music for um, Malmo, the Eurovision in Malmo in 2013. Agnetta released two albums since then. Frida has done some different things. And I think it was just the timing was right that, uh, you know, this, this came into, um, you know, there, there was whoever whoever kind of came up with the idea and when it was put out there I think the fact there would never have been a reunion where they would perform live in a gig again so I think this was the next best option and I think when this was probably put forward to to all of them you know this was a possibility and I, I think that that's where it all came from really and I've, I mean, that was my first time hearing that particular track, even though I'd heard the other one, uh, I Still Have Faith in You la- in, uh, last night. But both of them are absolutely classic ABBA numbers. The minute they start to play, you know, 100%. The, this the is one, ABBA. The first one we heard last night when it came on, I thought to myself, it's just, have I, not so much have I heard it before, but the fact when I saw, like, Frida's, Frida singing, and I would th- it's just an old one. And it, it took me a while to actually realise, no, this is all new. And, I mean, the work has all been done. They've, you know, they, they, the recordings have been done, the avatars, the avatars that they're kind of... All the, the technical side of it, everything is done, ready to go. That, I mean, it's not going to be... A li- it, it is a live show. The recordings have been done. But these are ABBA songs that we don't know, but we do know. If you're saying, going, going by what you're asking... It, it's definitely ABBA music and um, it, it's a new generation ABBA music that I suppose we never thought we'd see. Yeah, and you know, what I love about it is because when I heard it yesterday, I thought, oh God, this is either going to be fantastic or it's going to be disastrous. Yeah. And what I love about it is they haven't tried to reinvent the wheel. They're doing yeah. what ABBA do best, which is... They do what ABBA do best. Which is catchy, classy pop numbers. Yeah, and, and I think people don't care whether it'll be good. I I, I think, I, I've seen a few comments, people say, oh, it's a big anticlimax. No, it's not a big anticlimax, because I think if be, if people were tuning in yesterday with the hope that ABBA were going to do a worldwide tour, it was never that was never going to happen, and that couldn't work, and that would have been a disaster. And I, I mean, anyone that was expecting that, you know, it's a, this this was rumoured, but not rumoured. There was we heard back in two thousand and eighteen that there were new songs being recorded, and that there was going to be some kind of hologram thing. You know, we didn't know what it was. I think COVID put a stop to all that for you know, obviously because you know it, it's three years ago. I, I heard all about this, but we didn't know the the finer details. And I suppose two months ago, I heard that you know there was going to be an announcement pretty soon. So. um 
you know, when when the the date was given as yesterday for the announcement and the launch, and you know, it, it was exciting. And it's this is worldwide. I mean, the the two songs now are number one and two in the um, <laughs> iTunes charts. I already, think, already, <laughs> already from 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 last night. I yeah. think, and it's you know that that just just shows the power of ABBA. And you know, they've been in the charts continuously. It, since 1974, they were in the charts in Sweden pre-1974 because they were going for four or five years before that. You know, so um, they've they've been around a long time. Their breakup, as I say, was, you know, it was... It was, um, it was tough. It was tough. And of course, we have to remember as well that within the four of them, there was two married couples and their marriages, married. their marriages had also failed. So yeah. they were they were also working with their exes at the time. They were working with their exes. Yeah. And it was, you know, it, you you know, I mean, the pressure people are under and, you know, the, the, they didn't have social, the social media wasn't there then. But there was other media that they had to. Uh, do and I mean, if if you even remember from Abbott the movie when they did Australia and the hype and the you know it it was extremely difficult. They um, Agneta had young children at the time and she wanted to spend time with her kids, which is natural and understanding. And um, you know, Abbott didn't allow that because there was there was such demands on them. You know, but yeah, okay. You know, so a lot of our listeners commenting on this, and because I, I teed up that we will be playing it out, out of the news at twelve. Jim says the ladies in ABBA still sound and look amazing. Great song. I've always wondered why they left it so late to record a song again, but listening to it today was worth the wait, and it takes me back to my youth again. That's from Jim. Uh, Jackie Amalo says that is unmistakably ABBA, brilliant and well worth the wait. And Mary says Patricia, fantastic to have ABBA back. I feel like dancing around my handbag here in the kitchen. <laughs> See, it's bringing back so many memories to people of growing up and teenage yeah, and it's, years. It's, and that's, I mean, I saw people in tears on TV. I've been in touch with a lot of people that I know that like Dabba, you know, that I've got to know in recent years that all like Dabba. And it's just the emotional side for so many people. And I, I, I remember when Take That split up and then when they reformed and young ones on the telly going crazy, whatever, and crying, whatever. And I said, God, what are they on about? But I understood all that yesterday because that, that's how I felt yesterday. Something I never expected and not expected 40 years later. You know what I mean? So, um, and some of those points about the guard, the singing voices, that's what I was nervous about. You know, I mean, I mentioned this morning that Agnita is 71, Frida is 75, Benny is 74 and Bjorn is 76. Like these are not, they're not spring they're, chickens, but their voices. It's, it's unique how their voices are still up to par. And I remember when um, Agnita performed, uh, she the last album she did, what, three or four years ago. And I remember she was interviewed and so when she went into studio, she didn't know how her voice was going to go. And she said, thankfully, when they tried and they, you know, she did her exercise or whatever, the voice was still there. And it, it's still there today. And Frida's voice was, I always preferred Agnetha over Frida's voice. But yesterday when Frida, you know, the first lines that she started to sing, I was, it was just fantastic how, how um, good it still is. And even the guys said that in their interviews yesterday when they were on TV, is that you know they you know it all depended on the girls' voices because if they didn't have voice, you didn't have ABBA, you mm. know, and it was you know it wasn't going to work. I was disappointed that the girls weren't there and live with them yesterday because, but again, I think this is part of the whole reason how they have got back together because the girls kind of shunned away from the line like they you know they're content without it. Yeah, it was the boy. It, it, it was just the boys turned up in London, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, um, and, uh, and as far as I know, they, it, for the first show in London. 
which I, is rumoured, I think, the 22nd of May, as far as I know, next year, that the four of them will all be present. Sitting in the audience watching it. I think so, yeah. Oh, and God, there's, something, there's something even magical um, about that. And I know they, I think it was Benny's studio, they all went back into yeah. history. So it wasn't that, you know, they were taken out of their comfort zone. They were back probably that, where they recorded yeah. a lot of their stuff. And I think that just adds to it uh, as well. And it I also adds, heard that they had planned just to record a couple of songs and suddenly a full album came it was, out. I, I think two, three, I think, was the original um, plan. And I suppose once once things got, maybe the songs, maybe the guys had the songs ready in the hope that something would happen. And I suppose once they got in there then, and performed and, you know, did their rehearsals and recording. You know, come on, we we'll do another few and another few. And I suppose, you know, when you're when you're in a race and you're thinking, right, I can keep going, I can keep going. And I think that's probably what happened. But even when, if, um, you know, all their recordings, it, it brought things back. They said it was like going back into work. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's their job. And, you know, they did it. And it was it, it was powerful. Um to, to see that yesterday and mm. even all the, the clips from old you know there's there's so so much um, you know film out there from ABBA over the years and uh, that you know it, it's very nostalgic and emotional and you know to see all that for them going into work and recording it must have been as powerful as it is for, for, for the, the fans, fans or, yeah. or people and listening. let's not forget there's a whole new generation of young people who weren't around when Abba's last song came out who weren't even born and that's it and, but and Mamma Mia the, the, the films and then the musicals that brought a whole new generation a whole, of fans a whole, new, a whole new generation of fans a whole new audience and um, people that didn't know who Abba were that you know got into it I mean I, I went to see Mamma Mia the, the show in Vegas and this was going in Vegas for right now. How, how many, how, how, how long it was going. But it had a, a, a whole new audience again there. So, I mean, that that creates more, um, you know, what's happening here. This Abba, oh, I saw Mamma Mia. So it creates a new audience. And this, especially because this whole um, Abba voyage in London from next year, it's something completely new. It's a very technical, um, digital um, show that, that's been Never been there. never been done before, they reckon. Never been done before, and it's completely. I I was in the Abbey Museum in Stockholm, and they have um they had the holograms where you could get up on stage and um, sing with Abba, where they had you know the holograms of Abba, and you, you can get a video of it after. Um, it was okay, but this is way ahead of that again, you know. So I suppose the ideas came from that, and and you know there's such gifted people out there that can do so much with sound and light. It's the crowd who put together Star Wars. It's I believe so. Yeah, yeah that's that's it. What, what, so, what, did, what did you sing with with the band in the hologram when you went to the museum? I didn't. No, I didn't. Just... I watched it. You could do it. I didn't. <laughs> I don't think Patricia. That's and can I, I also <laughs> say when when young people hear ABBA, um, uh, particularly the generation that grew up listening to Pierce Brosnan and Meryl Streep, murder. An ABBA track. That's how that's, ABBA. That's, that's how ABBA that's, should should start. Okay. Somebody wants to know when is the album being released? I think the fifth of November. Fifth of November. The okay. two tunes are online now. Obviously, that were re- released yesterday. But the album, as far as I know, is the fifth of November. You can buy it online. You can. There's different packages. There's abbavoyage.com that you can go on. And I mean, the whole social media thing was so ready to go yesterday. You know, because you could sign up earlier in the week. You know, when it when it was announced, and everything is bang on, you know, that, that there's another side to everything. You can imagine the, the, uh, the purpose-built 3,000-seater arena in London, uh, the Abbott Theatre is going to be 
you know, a, 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 a great thing. The merchandise alone, I'm sure, there's going to be everything and anything available. So and like actually, that show in London, because I know the tickets there, you can pre-book the tickets. That isn't a one-off. That show will run and run, and run, run and run and run and run yeah. and run. I think, yeah. and I think that's what they said yesterday. Long after they're gone, this show can still <laughs> still go ahead. That's brilliant. So it's, you know, it's it's something it's it's something completely new, and uh, you know, it's some, the, the market will be there as long as there's an audience and. You know, it, it's it, the the reason that, that they they chose London. They could have chosen Stockholm. They could have chosen New York. But I suppose for them, it started in the UK when they won in Brighton, Eurovision. So and their chart success started in the UK. So you know that's that's where everything happened. And I suppose London is easily accessible for so many people. And um, you know they've you know they they've probably had most of their success through through London. And uh, it's. That this, this is the reason that um, they're they're maintaining all that and okay, so is, carrying is, on is, from there. Is that what you're getting as your Christmas present tickets to the show? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be getting them before Christmas. And the album, the album is out as I said, fifth of November. Ideal for Christmas. Yeah. And then, as far as I know, there's a Christmas single on it as well. Okay. And, song, and so. the show starts 27th of May uh, in London of next year. And just to finish off, you actually met Bjorn. I met Bjorn on the street in Dublin. This is about 20 years ago. Yeah. I was walking down Westmoreland Street. It's about four o'clock in the afternoon, Thursday afternoon. I can remember as if it was yesterday. It was around the time, uh, maybe a month after um, Mamma Mia started in London. And he must have been over for a weekend or something. And I walked past and I thought, that's Bjorn from ABBA. And I thought, if I, like, I would never stop anybody like that. Or, you know, I would say, no, I'll leave them alone. But I thought this is a one-time opportunity. If I don't do this now, I'll regret. I'll forever regret it. So I doubled back and I kind of walked towards him again. And there was a woman with him and a young child, maybe eight or nine-year-old child. And I, I just stopped him and I, I said, Bjorn, I, I said I was a big fan of ABBA and uh, just I apologise first of all for stopping him and his trap, you know. And he couldn't have been such a, a more more nice, such a gentle. Thank you very much. He said that's really nice. He said I'm glad you did stop me. He said it's great to hear. He just spoke as if, you know, he could have been anybody, just like I'm talking to you. He was exceptional. And um, I just said, corn, like, corny at, at the end. Thank you for the music oh, or whatever. And, well done, well done. And, he, and of course, 20 years ago, no mobile phone to get the selfie. You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> I didn't have, I, I, I don't even know if I had a mobile phone, but if I did, there was no camera on it at the time. And and, and that was the thing. And they said, who knew what a selfie was in those days? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. And, Ma- and Michael O'Sullivan and Castan Bear says, Patricia, just fantastic to hear that ABBA are back. Real musicians. They never really went away. You, you've heard them everywhere. Dance halls, radio shows, etc. And real, they're on the radio. Real day. musicians, says Michael and Castan yeah. Bear. So true. OK, and we have another album now to look forward to, which is terrific. Listen, Johnny, as always, a pleasure. Thanks, Thank you for that. Too. And uh, thanks. Too. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Uh, that's uh, Johnny O'Mahony. Eurovision correspondent who couldn't be more excited about the reunion of uh, ABBA. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative. The perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork. 
There is a drive-in bingo at Middleton GAA. Starts at 7pm this evening. Great prizes on uh, offer. And Keldollery drive-in bingo that's also on this evening, 8 o'clock in the Creamer Yard with extra prizes to celebrate their sixth anniversary. And the drive-in bingos continue. This time it's Castletown Bear. Their bingo is tonight. Earlier time, please note that, at half past seven. And it is in the car park of the Bear Coast Hotel. Castletown Bear have a jackpot of €1,300. And the 175th anniversary of the famine will be celebrated in Glenville next Sunday at half past two. The Bishop of Cork and Ross will bless the famine memorial plaques and all are very welcome. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. I to say congratulations to James Cullity Roach in Canturk on his leaving search results today. Well done to you James and also to Paddy Reynolds in Newmarket who is getting his first Holy Communion tomorrow. Nana Mary has been on the line to wish both of the boys well and actually talking of first Holy Communions thousands of families across the Diocese of Cork and Ross will now be able to celebrate the postponed uh, sacraments with children and according to the Bishop that happens from next week following updated plans from the government to lift many of the COVID-19 restrictions Bishop Finton Gavin has issued updated guidance to parishes advising them that ceremonies, including first penance, the first Holy Communion and confirmations can now be celebrated from next Monday, September 6th. Now, due to the number of ceremonies to be celebrated in such a short period of time, the Bishop obviously is not going to be able to do all of the uh, confirmations. So he's delegating the local priests to celebrate the sacrament of confirmation in most of his parishes. Now, changes to the restrictions also mean that capacity at Sunday and weekday Mass that also changes from next uh, Monday, as, as well as any of the other church ceremonies like Christings, uh, for example, it now from next Monday reverts to 50% of the capacity of the church building. And Bishop Finton Gavin has written to all the parishes acknowledging the role that so many parishioners have played in what have been very difficult times. And really the parishioners so stepped up to the mark with the cleaning of churches and people helping out the local parish priest and in many cases only one priest running the parish and he just he physically would not have been able to have had the church open for any period of time if it wasn't for the parish council and parishioners who helped out so well done and Bishop good to see Bishop Gavin recognising them as well he also advised parishes that the government's reopening plan also meals means that the attendance at the funeral mass now follows the same guidelines as other masses and actually only yesterday somebody was asking about a funeral mass and how many people can attend so from next Monday it means the capacity at a funeral mass will be at 50% if the church can hold a thousand people then 500 people will be allowed to um, attend now at the moment the current practice of receiving the remains of the deceased before the funeral mass it looks like that's also going to uh, continue so there won't be a removal and then the following day the funeral mass it'll all be done to uh, gather and the bishop singling a uh, further return to pre-COVID times the bishop told parishes that it is also a time to remobilise much of parish life as society moves out of restrictions he's talking about things like time to engage with altar service bring back the young readers bring back other groups who before the pandemic were participating in parish life and obviously all of that stopped because of the restrictions he says specific guidance for church choirs will be made available in the coming weeks and they're looking forward to welcoming the return of their important 
role in our liturgy. So they're waiting on specific guidance around church choirs. So we take it from that. The choirs are not going to be back straight away, but they're working on the guidance on that. And as soon as we get anything on that, we will bring it to you. Uh, Peter, by text. Trisha, I wonder, could you tell me when is the fuel allowance due to be paid for this year? I've checked and I can't get a date for the 2021 2022 but but all I can tell you is going by last year and every other previous year the fuel allowance is normally paid out on the last week of September for example last week the fuel allowance season started on Monday the 28th of September 2020 and then it ran until April of this year 2021 so I'm assuming it is going to be the same it'll be the last week in September but I don't have a definite date on it yet we will keep a look out for it normally the department issue the guidance probably the week before but I would imagine it's going to be the last week in September and we were talking about rural roads earlier on the programme Listen says Trisha listening to your show earlier about roads and the condition of some of our rural roads I used to drive an Arctic truck I did it for over 30 years and I've seen things that most people wouldn't dream about. Yes, the roads are in a bad state, that's for sure. But my point is that it's not always the roads that kill people, it's the people that use them. Yes, I agree with the curfew. As a mid 60 year old, the young lads come up our rural roads and do their donuts and make noise in the middle of the night. If you find themselves on the wrong side of the hedge, it's always the car's fault or a pothole on the road. It'll never be the driving of the driver. Yes, get the young lads off the road at night. I think it would save lives and it also would let us oldies sleep at night as well, thanking you. And that's one side of that a curfew on young drivers I hadn't thought about now now again and, and, and young drivers I know we always really annoy young drivers when because it looks like the young drivers are all being tired with the with the one brush there are a cohort of younger drivers who get involved uh, in that in doing donuts and finding a rural road where they can be going at very high speeds and you're right if you live in that area it can be impossible to sleep because they do it in the small hours of the mo- in the morning and no matter how t- many times you ring the Gardaí and no matter how many times the Gardaí go out they're gone by the time the Gardaí uh, arrive and it is a huge source of annoyance for people that live in rural areas and it also can and, and does lead to accidents so that would be one of the plus sides of having a curfew of young people and not allowing people, say, under the age of 23 uh, to drive at uh, evening time. That was that was something actually that wasn't discussed yesterday. I think Michael Healy Ray was more talking about people, young people who need to get to work or young people who might be coming home from college or, you know, live in a very rural area and just need to get out and about. I think that's what he was thinking about. But that was a topic that we didn't touch on, the boy racers. 1850, and they can be girl racers too. 1850 John Paul taking your call. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is... Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Is the Cork Today replay on C103. And we're off to the movies with uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And you watched two movies for us, Boss Level and He's All That. Let's take a quick trailer from Boss Level. I used to complain that every day felt the same. And now every day is the same. Seriously. (laughs) Shoes, pants, rip them, flip them. Okay, coffee anyone? I don't know how this is possible. But I keep repeating the same day. Sorry, pal! I die. Every. Single. Day. What if the ability to rewrite history was real? What if I can erase our mistakes? Oh, this is a new twist on Groundhog Day. He dies every single day. Uh, well, yeah, but then in a sense, really, so did uh, Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. I know he went to sleep, but it necessarily he didn't die. But um, yeah, I mean, here we go again. And it does make you kind of think in Hollywood, is, are people just running out of ideas? <laughs> let's, make, let's make another Groundhog Day movie. I only reviewed, uh, what was it, Freaky? Was it yeah, two, three yeah. weeks ago? Which exactly was the exact same movie again. And the, the weird thing, though, is every time one of these films comes around, they go, oh, no, I've got, it's just another Groundhog Day movie. But they end up being really, really entertaining. I don't know why, I, I, I did, but they do. It works. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of concept that works. And I suppose, in a, in a sense, the, 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 the one that worked way better than most after Groundhog Day uh, was the Tom Cruise film, uh, The Edge of Tomorrow. And this is more similar to that, I think, because Tom Cruise also died every day in that film as well. And uh, as he was kind of constantly getting kind of educated on how to kill uh, the monsters that had invaded uh, Earth. And it's the same here. He too has to, you know, die every single day to try and uh, educate himself on uh, how to, you know, get him out of this kind of uh, loop where, as you say, he does die uh, every single day. I don't know why, but as I say, I I do love, I I always have kind of um, 
movies that kind of mess with time. And Back to the, to the Future, I think, is a very, very good example. Mm. And um, in this film, actually, the, the opening of the film is very Back to the Future with kind of clocks ticking. And there's also even a reference in the film to a space-time continuum, which they obviously kind of ripped off from, uh, from Back to the Future. So time travel uh, movies, for me, uh, work and work well, and I've always really, really enjoyed them. And, you know, this, again, it really, really does work. And, you know, in, in a sense, you would kind of think, well, well it, it shouldn't. Because if, if one of the reviews... One of the things I've noticed with reading some of the reviews of some of these movies uh, that um, that I reference, kind of uh, Groundhog Day, is that they overstay their welcome. Because what happens is, is that we see too much of repetition. We see yeah, that's a the repetition one part. Of what's happening. Yeah, it's a formula that works, but the one part it can get a bit annoying when you're just rewatching that same hour in the morning or whatever it is, or that same sequence of having breakfast, whatever it is. It just can get a bit tedious. Yeah, and that happens here, I think. Where, for example, what, what, why that didn't work, I think, with Groundhog Day. First of all, of course, it was original and we hadn't seen it before. But Bill Murray uh, was able to do something different every single time. Now, here they don't. In fact, it's quite lazy at times. They do, in fact, repeat the same, um, uh, the same kind of shots over and over again. And it does overstay its welcome at times. The only problem really with it, though, is, is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it, is pacing. Uh, because the opening sequence where he's explaining why He's uh, being attacked every single day. And unlike, say, for example, Grand Hotel, Day, where Bill Murray was allowed to basically kind of control his day, he, as the, from the moment he wakes up in the morning, there are 20 assassins trying to kill him. And so basically he spends his whole day, every day, trying to outwit these um, assassins. Um, but then he gets a kind of... Um, one day he realizes something has changed ever so slightly. Now, his wife um, is a scientist, and she's gone, and he has no idea where she is. She was working on something like, remember the Large Hadron Collider? Remember that thing uh, in Switzerland where basically people thought once they were, they were going to turn it on, the whole world is going to oh, come yeah, to an yeah, end? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, she was working on this kind of idea, and she uses his DNA to try and um, instill in him some education about uh, the bad guy here who's played by Mel Gibson and what he's trying to do. So one day he realizes something um, of his day has changed ever so slightly and has given him a little bit of education on how he can reveal what uh, uh, Mel Gibson is up to. But the pacing is the problem. So we have this extraordinary opening sequence. And then we have like 20 minutes of talk with uh, Mel Gibson. And it was almost like maybe the writer was trying to be Tarantino or something, or maybe the producers thought, look, we've got Mel Gibson, mm-hmm. give him more to do. And so and uh, that happens quite a lot, quite often during the film, but the film just dies and you're desperately waiting for the action sequences. Now, I, I come in here uh, to talking to you every day, uh, every week, and uh, I, I complain about action sequences. It's just boring because they're just there for no reason. Here the action sequences really, really do work and they really, really are, are exciting. Uh, it's directed by Joe Carnahan, who uh, made a couple of Liam Neeson films uh, a few years back. He made... Um, uh, was it the, the Grey, which I like very much indeed, and he made the A-Team as well. In fact, there's a, there's a lovely little reference to uh, uh, Liam Neeson in the film, which is really very, very, very funny. And there's lovely sequences too where he decides to change his day ever so slightly so that he can spend some time with his son, who's played by his real son uh, in this film. And so it's it's kind of a mismatch of really, really excellent, excellent uh, action. And just kind of dull kind of talk sequences and I think that's a bit of a shame uh, you know 10 minutes 15 minutes off the, the running time of this and it would have been really really solid but I really liked it I, I mean I enjoyed it very much indeed it, it stars uh, Frank Grillo who's been around for a while he's been around Hollywood for a while but never really became kind of a, an A-lister uh, but he's very very good here I mean he's very good at this kind of stuff and I have to say that uh, in the end I have to say I did enjoy it it is rather violent 
uh, very violent at times. There's a lady with um, with a sword, and she does things with a sword, which some people might find uh, offensive, so keep that in mind. <clears throat> I think it's got a 15 cert, uh, which is about right, but I would recommend it. I thought it was, uh, when, it, when it's good, it's very good. Okay, and it's called Boss Level. Okay, mark, yeah. it, mark it out of 10. I'll give it eight. Eight out of ten. Okay, you also watched the second movie for us, and this is He's All That. Which is uh, kind of, um, what would you call it? It's called kind of an update of a film back in uh, the 90s, which was called She's All That. Oh, okay. I don't know if you ever... Yeah, I do. I remember She's All That. I don't know if you remember the movie, but I remember the, the title for sure. Yeah, Rachel Lee Cook was uh, was in the movie, and uh, basically she was kind of a school nerd, and uh, one of the kind of school jocks decides that, uh, you know, he takes a bet from his buddies uh, that he can turn this very, very plain girl into kind of a, a beauty queen. Uh, so therefore, that, that they would be the king and queen of, uh, of the prom. It's quite an offensive film, but it was really quite uh, uh, successful at the time. It didn't work at all because, of course, even when Rachel Lee Cook, when she was meant to be playing, was still very beautiful. I was just going to say, yeah, they kind of kind of picked the wrong actress. But then, if she's to go into a into a swan, they have to pick a a, a beautiful looking actress. Exactly, but she looked better before and than after. But then I always feel that way when whenever I used to watch those makeover programs on TV, I always used to think. <laughs> You know, she looked much better without the makeup in and in sweat. <laughs> I must say, because they always gave them like a little handbag as well afterwards, and, and I think, oh, that's awful. Anyway, uh, so the same here, by the way, uh, they switched the sexes around here. It's the same writer, but here it's Addison Ray, uh, who is a TikToker, I believe. Uh, she is this kind of influencer in this film, and she, then she, like a lot of people of that ilk, she spends the whole time in front of her her phone. Um, she meets up with uh, Tanner Buchanan here, and he's meant to be the kind of you know, the, the goth, the, the kind of smelly kind of guy who, um, and he, she decides to take that bet to turn him into the, the jock uh, and into the, queen, the king of the, the uh, prom night. And again, he looked much better before they cleaned him up. And so that, again, didn't really work uh, either. At least the, the, the original film, I think, it had a kind of a little kind of depth. Here, this really does it. I mean, this is just a complete kind of piece of uh, nonsense and fluff. I mean, there's so many smiles in this film. The, 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 the actors must have had sore cheeks by the end of the day, you know, because they just don't stop grinning throughout this whole film, which is really fluffy and silly. I mean, the thing is, is that Addison Rae, as the character here at Paget Sawyer, but basically what happens is that she is a an influencer, as I say, she's on her phone all the time. She documents her life through her phone. She's got thousands of followers on TikTok and on Instagram. And so basically one day she's humiliated um, live on camera and uh, she starts to get really upset and crying and a little bit of bubbly snuff comes out her nose. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. she's beca- she becomes known as the, 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 the bubble girl and oh. so she is completely humiliated and sees her way back into that industry again by turning this plain man into this kind of beautiful kind of godlike creature. And the thing is, is that you would hope and think that the film at least would have some kind of depth where they would look at the, 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 the at, at social media and look at the dark side of it. And uh, But they actually don't. And um, I also kind of did wonder who this film was for because I, I did ask my 20-year-old, I said, Do you, would you watch this film? She said, nah. She said, I'd hate it. I'd hate all those people as well. And so therefore, is it made then for those who... Uh, as teenagers watched the original yeah, and now I, want to watch this again. I, I was wondering, is it, is it pitched to teenage girls who are into well, all the, the TikToks? And... 
Well, if, if teenage girls are, are going to watch this, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, they're not exactly great role models, these people. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and I, don't, I don't know necessarily what exactly they're going to learn here uh, because nobody seems to have learned any lessons by the end of the film, which is kind of stretched out and stretched out as much as possible because at the end you've got the, the obligatory kind of dance sequence and you've got the, the bloopers reel as well. It's all really, really glossy and silly and trite and it's a bit of a shame you know you would hope that a film at least as I say would have a kind of a harder edge uh, to try and kind of at least educate people on uh, the darker side of social media but it doesn't do that at all and it doesn't sound like it will even appeal to the people who liked the first one of She's All That well it might do it might I mean you know Rachel Lee Cook makes an appearance in this Uh, she's not playing the same character uh, but she's playing the main character's mother there is a little reference right to the original film because in the original film she walks into the prom do you remember the song um, Kiss Me from Stephen Tintin Duffy yeah yeah Um, there's kind of a famous sequence where she's walking into the prom and that's in the background and uh, in this film, she's walking into the prom and that's, that's playing and she goes, mm. well, that sounds familiar. So that was a little reference to the film, which I kind of liked uh, uh, the first film. Uh, but the I didn't mo- like it at all. OK, the movie buffs all of, all of those little, when they put pieces in like that, it's great to try and spot them. OK, he's all that. Mark it out of 10? I'll give it five. Five out of 10. All right. OK, listen, thank you for that. We'll chat again next Friday, Mark. And okay, thanks then. for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Mark Malone. Oh, good afternoon. It's gone past 12. Uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. I'm Smith on C103 and I'm not the only one. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. Talk to you Monday at 10. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You you know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.